0: Hey, team of Eternal Optimists, it's Matt on here. And before we launch into today's epic conversation, I've got a big announcement. Drum roll, please. <laughs> My brand new book is coming out on March 8th. And perhaps even better news, you can get it for only 99 cents on Amazon that day. We don't run ads on the show. And if you ever want to get back and support the Eternal Optimist community, Go to Amazon on March 8th and get the Kindle version for only 99 cents. Just search for the book title, The Eternal Optimist. It's never too late. And you can download it directly to your device. Now, let's get to the show. Team, first of all, thanks for listening to the Eternal Optimist podcast. Today, we have an amazing perspective coming at you from Dr. Cindy Morgan Jaffe. I was privileged to meet Cindy about a year and three months ago in the exchange community, which I've loved to talk about all the time because it's an amazing community where we teach facilitators how to bring energy, how to bring excellent facilitation, where everyone gets to communicate and connect with each other. Rather than the sage on the stage, we become the guides on the side and we empower the team and the group collective to share their great strengths towards their collective shared purpose about Cindy. She's amazing. She coaches people and leads entrepreneurs, individuals, families, teams. She leads people on money mindset. And this is a sore subject in our country in America right now because of the number of people that are in debt, the number of people that you know have high interest credit cards, the number of people out there that have a story around money that is not that compelling. The narrative that many of us are raised with is one that rich people are greedy, money is evil, let's not talk about money at the dinner table. And yet, how many times do we come across someone later in their life who says, you know what, I wish they would've taught basic balancing of a checkbook back in school. I wish they would've taught me about compound interest back in school. I wish there was something where there was a money course back in school, a recurring theme. Well, Dr. Cindy is someone who talks about money all the time. You know, and she does this from a place of love and peace where she wants to serve the world. Today's episode is all about the challenges that she's overcome in her life. She's come from a small town to the big city, family health issues, you know, being one of five girls in the family, you know, being married, divorced, going through money challenges of her own, coming to different phases in her life in her early forties, and now leading large groups of people and individuals on Money Mindset Coaching. She's amazing. And when you hear her story today, you know, think about your own narrative with money and how it's been colored by your relationships, by the way you grew up, and think about exactly how you're going to choose to show up with money in your relationships moving forward. It's a compelling episode about overcoming challenge and the money mindset. Let's get into it, Dr. Cindy Morgan Jaffe. Hello, and welcome to the Eternal Optimist Podcast, the show for optimists by optimists. This is the show for people who see the good in the world and want to make a positive difference in the lives of their families and communities. Each week, you'll hear inspiring stories that will get you thinking bigger and playing more offense in life. With your host and high-performance coach, Matt Drinkon. Welcome to Eternal Optimist Podcast today, Dr. Cindy Morgan-Jaffe. How are you, Cindy? I'm
1: great. Thanks for having me.
0: Absolute pleasure. I remember tracing back the origin of when we met. We met in the exchange community. And I remember it was a year ago in March of 2021 that I joined the community, and I've seen you at a number of events, and, and I was always curious. You were the money mindset coach. You were the one that was the expert around all things money and the mindset around money. And I am so excited to dive in with you today on this topic because this is something I feel is sorely needed out there right now uh so we're gonna go deep into that and you know let's let's start off with just a little bit about you what does the audience need to know about you cindy
1: well first of all thank you so much for having me and for this topic of money mindset which i think is a topic that every single one of us struggle with and we don't really know either that we're struggling with it or what role it has in the outcomes and the results that we see in our lives around money so um why would, uh, what's important for the audience to know about me? I would say the first thing that I want you, the listener, to know is that my mission is to help you have a positive relationship with money, understanding that we all struggle and have stress around money on a daily basis. And so what does it mean to have a positive relationship with money? And how can you do that?
0: And if the audience really got to know you outside of uh, money mindset, uh, what would they need to know if they really got to know you other than just the money part of it?
1: Okay, well, um, so I have a pretty interesting life story. I think there's many different layers to it. But for the listener, I'm 64 years old. I've raised five beautiful children, gone through a divorce. I've been uh, with my current partner for 22 years. And I had a job since I was thirteen years old. And I've also just worked across the private, uh, nonprofit government sectors. So those are the that's very high level personal story. Also I grew up in Wyoming. So I grew up in a place called Jackson Hole, Wyoming, which is just a beautiful spot. And very formative around uh who I am today, even though I now live in Washington, DC and have lived here over thirty years.
0: Wow. Yeah. <laughs> So many places we can go to start off. Uh, Five children, congratulations. Uh, I'm at three right now, and we're going to stay at three, and they're all still in the nest. So uh, great great to hear that. Let's start in some of those formative years. So kind of back in Jackson Hole and kind of go to the past and move forward. Where might be some of your more important pivotal points in your life, Cindy? If we start back in Jackson Hole, what are some of those things that you really recall that shaped you?
1: The first thing that comes to mind is that when uh, it, growing up in a place like Jackson Hole is growing up in a place of of extremes. So there's extreme beauty and also um, isolation, right? It's a small town. There's a lot um, uh, that is both offered by that, but also lacking in the sense of diversity and opportunity and things like that. I am super grateful to have grown up. I have four sisters and i had an amazing parents and they you know they themselves had an incredible life story of coming from uh from the east coast primarily and really deciding giving up a career my mom a career in journalism and my dad had a stroke when he was 23 coming back from the army i mean i'm sorry that um he was a pilot and so how did they both form this life in this really small community it really literally a town of 200 what formed them and therefore what formed us. And so I would say that really what was so shaping around that upbringing was the sense of public service, of being independent and learning while you're doing. So there's a focus on education, on the arts and on public service. So those those pieces were not only modeled for us in life, but we all of my sister's we all are very much independent women who have come out into the world and are like, yes, we have a voice and we'll do it. Uh, we're not going to be held back by, you know, society telling us that we, you know, can't speak up.
0: This is already amazing. So in a, your, your dad has stroke at 23. That's the youngest I've heard of of that happening. So that's already he's got uh, some challenge there. Small town, 200 people, four sisters. I mean, there's, there's so many places here. I'm wondering... What was the money situation like for your family growing up? Uh, were, were you were you wealthy? Were you poor? You know, how did the beginning of the money mindset start to happen for you in your youth?
1: Well, we were, you know, the interesting thing and one of the reasons why I do money mindset work is because we were very settled inside of the of the middle upper upper to middle class meaning that i never personally suffered from not having food on the table or a, or a house or a home to live in we i would say we lived a rich life now did i know what that what our money situation was no and in fact where i really struggled myself was truly understanding my parents would say things like don't worry about money education is important. We'll do whatever we need. So there was a sense that money was really important, yet not something that I should care about or stress over more More uh, correctly. So a very
0: old school. I think we see that a lot. I mean, I've, I've been, I come from the same place that I felt we were doing well. We didn't have to worry about food. Like we always had something to eat. And uh, I always had thrift shop clothes growing up. So I knew we weren't rich. But we always had something to eat, but we never talked about money you know, it was not something that was really openly discussed anywhere. I think that might be a generational thing. I'm, I'm 45 or 64. And maybe we we both experienced this. When did you first start to learn about it? If it wasn't at the dinner table? Like, how did you come into it?
1: Well, I, um, I was always interested. I'm the fourth of the five girls. And I was, oh, I've always been interested in enterprise for some reason. And I think a part of it came back to my mom who i knew had given up a career she was well educated a single child growing up with a single mom at a time that was very unusual went to middlebury college had you know had a really a, a gifted life and at the same time she gave up a future in new york city she had a job at the new york times and she gave that up to come out to jackson hole And uh, you can just only imagine what that was like for her to fly into Rock Springs, Wyoming, and have her city outfit and face the the idealists that, that lived up north. What I really was fascinated by, dad was, he always had his own business. So I was also interested in how that worked and what their decisions, they were very smart about money. And yet they didn't really share that, as you said, because it just wasn't, it's not done, right? So it wasn't as if they didn't think it was important to share, it's just wasn't a practice. And so I learned that in some cases rich people were greedy, you know, not nice. Like that having money could be corrupting and bad. That's what I was learning through living in a place like Jackson Hole that has one of the most wealthy per capita counties in the entire country compared to the the the, the wage the gap is significant.
0: I, I wonder how did you' mentioned your father had a stroke at twenty three and later he has a successful business. I wonder how that you know health challenge either helped him hurt him or how it impacted you know his ability to run a business uh, if it did at all.
1: well, I mean ironically, this is what I think is again such been such a driver is my admiration for my parents and the legacy that they've left behind. My dad could not write with his right hand. His whole right side was paralyzed. He taught himself to be a designer. Uh, He wasn't officially an architect, but that's how he made his business. He was a designer. So his handwriting, he learned everything to do with his left hand. He was a rancher. He learned how to run, you know, John Deere tractors were his favorite thing. He was, and he was very dedicated to uh, sustainability, to, you know, what, how can we, Yeah, our family's the first to to give a a land conservation easement under the Nature Conservancy in the whole state of Wyoming. So they were very progressive in the ways that they were thinking about money, and they left us, I mean, we now currently still own quite a lot of acreage in Jackson Hole, and that, as you can imagine, the capital gains on that is significant. So they were also very thoughtful about how how the next generation is going to manage this asset.
0: Well it it seems that uh your father and your mother your mother Journalism career, New York Times, uh, moving to Jackson Hole. Your father health challenge, right side of the body paralyzed, and learned how to do everything again from the left side. It feels like they are no strangers to overcoming adversity, which is you know exciting to hear. And the message you want to give to our audience uh, is that they can do it too. That that someone has done that. So thank you for sharing that, Cindy. Can we keep moving forward in your timeline, past uh, back home? in Jackson Hole, what's what's the next significant uh, challenge or opportunity that you face in your life uh, as you go away from home?
1: Well, I went away to school and high school for the later part of high school, and then also to college, and was always just one of these, the grass is always greener, what can I do? Kind of a sense that the world was really big out there, and yet I was small. So I think that there was, coming from a small town, I think can be challenging for people because there's a sense that you're not enough or the imposter syndrome shows up in many, many ways to be a judge of yourself. Like who are you to do X, Y, or Z? That has become a a fairly, now in my 60s, understanding that, and this is something I've I've learned, but I've learned how far back that goes and how much it drove my decisions. So just having said that, I did end up going away to college in the East because I kind of wanted to figure out What was it that my parents left? Why did they leave? What were those values that they really struggled with? And how might I almost kind of live maybe that unchartered future that they wanted to have?
0: What uh, in that transition from Jackson Hole back to the East Coast or or to the East Coast, what in that transition uh, stands out to you as being uh, just revealing to you or challenging to you in that time in life?
1: I think the biggest challenge for me was wanting to get an A and facing all the adversity that I was actually dealing with and not admitting to it. So late in high school, I, and this was very early on, I started to have an eating disorder. And that lasted for the next 12 years of my life. And that was something that uh, that was very shameful. It's commonly talked about now, but at the time it, it I felt extremely alone and it was it was my way of dealing with that I needed to be an A plus hyper achiever and yet this was hard it was hard to get out there in the world it was hard to feel like who was I right and so that 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 theme that underpinning of shame followed me all the way through college years and you know has given me a lot of i mean of course at the time very difficult but it's tr- it's helped me Really, truly understand what is below the surface for so many people who are dealing with just expectations, societal expectations.
0: Yeah. Thanks so much for going there and sharing that with us, Cindy. I think this is something that it's more common that people can talk about it now than, than it may have been used to be. And it's also something still very difficult from my understanding of it. I, I wonder, was there a moment in time you can think back to where it became hyper aware and focus where you decided to do something about it? was there like a turning moment or a point where it just became consuming and, and you knew that we had to stop this?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think anybody who lives with an, an addiction and you don't really even know it's an addiction, right? It's just a a, a behavior that you're overeating under, you know, whatever. Um, and this also aligns with money behavior, right? So it, there's common behaviors that we do to manage stress and so on. So for me, it was just one of those things that I just, thought okay i'll get over this i'll get over it and not a day went by where it wasn't wouldn't occupy my my mind in terms of why can't i get over this and so finally i after college i was like i've got to i've got to deal with this you know and i tried to find a therapist and it you know took a whole time to really find the right therapist but what i really learned from it is that recovery is not something that just happens overnight It starts with really saying that it's okay to admit that you have this, that's something you cannot overcome, which many people with substance use disorders struggle with as well.
0: I just, I I feel so much gratitude for you sharing this today. To see someone who, at where you're at in your life right now, successful at what you do, to kind of go back and chronicle the challenges that help shape and make you into the successful person you are today, it could have been the exact opposite. You could have given up and said, "I'm not going to do this anymore. I'm just going to, you know, mail it in uh, and and have a different life." Taking a victimhood mentality, and you did something about it. And I just want to appreciate you for that. For a, having the courage to share the story, and b, for you know, overcoming it and getting to the place. I mean, the last person I had in the podcast, they have been in uh, recovery for 34 years, and they're very active in their local chapter of AA in serving that community uh, for addiction. And the person before that also talked about addiction. So this is not something that just other people get it. Successful people get it too. So I'm, I'm so glad you're sharing it, Cindy. So thank you for that. Uh, can you talk a little bit about, I guess the the recovery process when you went into recovery and how that might've impacted you then and how that might show up now?
1: What helped me with, with recovery was one, having somebody else who I worked with, the therapist I worked with had overcome this herself. So my message to you, the listener, is that if there's anything that you are really truly struggling with, there is somebody else out there in the world who has overcome that struggle and can really offer some guidance that it's not hopeless. And one of the things that you said, Matt, that I think is really important when I've been thinking about this theme of optimism is that it's what is optimism, right? So it's courage. You mentioned courage, bravery. People have said to me, and I have more pretty significant life change to even share a little later on, have people have said to me, you're so brave, you're so courageous. And I'm like, I don't think of it that way. I just think of it that I guess I truly believe on the inside that we each love ourselves enough And we have to love ourselves enough to trust and believe that we're worthy and that if we are worthy that we can do what we need to do, that we are the most important place to invest our time and energy.
0: I love that. I'm writing that down. Thank you. You mentioned other stages or changes or, or, or challenges. Let's let's keep moving forward in the story. And, and please, let's get to the next uh, opportunity or challenge. Okay.
1: <laughs> the next juicy part of Cindy's life. Yes. Okay, so give me the juice. Um, <laughs> yeah, the juice, the juice. Okay, so I've had many different jobs. And when I say that, I mean, I've really valued work and always thought of myself as an entrepreneur. I started out with a lemonade stand called the Pink Moose at age eight, and that was my very first enterprise. And so I I love to create businesses. I love business generally, and I've always been interested in that. So my path has been kind of one of also wanting a family. And so the two, when I was married at 26, uh, went to Italy, was an art director at a children's fashion magazine over there. That was a really great time, came back. My husband and I lived here in Washington, D.C., and I we immediately started to have children because that's something I wanted. And with that came the challenges of trying to navigate a career and children in the time when this was just starting out. Just uh, computers were coming in and uh, things were changing. And so I became an, a graphic designer because that was a really great choice to have at home. You know, that worked quite a while. I can then tell you what happened through that if if you want me to keep going.
0: Oh, I'm, yeah, I'm very curious. So you're, you're 26. You're coming back from Italy. You're married. You're beginning your family and many jobs throughout it. And one of the first jobs is as a graphic designer. Is this at a time, this is approximately 39 years ago, roughly somewhere in there. Is this a time where there are a lot of families that are husband and wife are both working full-time because I, my mom was a stay-at-home mom when I was born. She started, she was a full-time teacher and then she became a stay-at-home mom. And I think there was a, there was a very specific point in time when the workplace shifted and everyone in the family worked. So were you ever in a place where it was like, do I take on this traditional role of stay-at-home mother? Do I go work full-time? Because right now it looks like you're starting to have a family and you're going to work full-time.
1: Well, I was working part time because that I chose this career because so I could work part time and have kids. So I wanted it all. Like, it's here's the theme I want it all. I want it all, right? Which I thought was important. And where I struggled personally was that that is a very lonely place for women, especially. There was a a sense that you were breaking off from people, from women who were choosing to be at home all the time versus those who were working full time. And so there was sort of a lot of jockeying around value like, where am I showing my value? How can I have it all? That was fine. Washington, D.C. is a very professionally focused community. So that wasn't difficult necessarily and we and and you know we had a good marriage so we had three children three girls and that was fine what happened though in my early 40s was i fell in love with a woman and this was like really out of the blue i didn't really know what was going on and with myself and i tried to hide it and then my husband found out and then that was kind of the end of the marriage so i not only you know was dealing with jobs and career and who am i and all of that. But I think that that was also a a fracture in somewhere in my life where I was needing something different. I'm not sure, but that was, you know, again, so I went from being, you know, all these different lands, I went from a small town to a big town, I went, you know, I've lived internationally. And then I go from this, from one side of the tracks to the other, so and divorce. So all of that was very disruptive, to say the least.
0: Is that all? (laughs) <laughs> no no that's <laughs> like, well
1: i mean i'm like
0: <laughs> that sounds like a lot uh, a lot of opportunity to dive in and, and understand so let's start with it's early 40s you've fallen in love with a woman and i i wonder at what point did you realize that you're in love with a woman and you know then then you got divorced so can you go to that little section of time there and and give us a little bit of detail around that please
1: Okay. Well, I for the listener, I think what the reason I'm bringing this up, this is a story that, again, many women are going through. At the time, I felt extremely alone, but I walked into this bookstore and right in front of me was a book that said, Married Women Who Fall in Love with Women, and I couldn't even pick it up. I was terrified that people would judge me. So I was very, again, very alone in this world of... I was living among many, but I was feeling very alone. So there's a lot of theme here going on. If like, what was I looking for? And was I just searching, searching for meaning? I'm not sure. But the process of that was, it was many divorces, all divorces are different, but this was a big one. You know, this was really tough. You know, you get married and you are like, this is I through thick and thin, we're going to be together. And then here was a situation that I just didn't did not know what to do with and didn't really know was I being selfish, etc. All I knew was what how I was feeling. And so that was just very difficult. And I had to make some tough choices. Thankfully, I know the kids have gotten through that time. And, you know, but it was it was difficult for sure.
0: Well, thank you for sharing. And I caught at the beginning of our discussion that you've been uh, happy with this partner for 22 years, if I'm not mistaken. So some shine, some good has come from this. So I'm happy to hear that. I'd love to kind of shift to the money mindset part. And, and talk about what you're creating in the world now and how you're serving the world now. You've served us so well today by sharing the challenges and sharing you know, how, especially as a woman, you can feel alone, sometimes alone in your marriage, you know, alone in your career choice and the path uh, and maybe self-judging you know, and the way that you've coped with that in the past. So love everything you've shared. It's been really helpful. I'm sure there's someone that will connect with that. So thank you. Let's connect with how you're shaping the world now, please. Tell us a little bit about you know, what you do now and how you got into what you're doing now.
1: Okay. So the connection between all of these stories I've been telling, and again, to remind the, the reader is that there is, it is a, it's a story. We tell us a money story. We tell a story all the time. And, and what that story is shows up around our money. So if we are not enough, If we don't believe that we belong or we are somehow outside of the mainstream or we have guilt, whatever it is, however we're feeling in our lives, that will show up around money. So for me, the struggle around money was that, one, I didn't learn about financial literacy was not part of my life. It's not a part of very many people's lives. And so I was struggling with feeling financially empowered. I always worked, made money, but I never... Felt like I could make more than let's say I was stuck at oh okay I'm only valued at you know if I made more than a hundred thousand dollars I'd be like oh my god that's like whoa that's not me right so I was really locked inside of a money mindset I was also making choices that impacted my money the actual money right so I was choosing to be home more motherhood does not pay this is something that has been a real challenge motherhood fatherhood whatever those Being a parent does not pay, even though it gives us tremendous value in life. So the money mindset piece for me was parents don't get paid. So I was judging myself on my self-worth was tied to my net worth. So I was constantly judging myself to say, well, I need to make more money to be more valuable or to, you know, like somehow I was judging that worth in the world was tied to how much money I was making and yet I was, my higher value was to be available to the kids, and that didn't pay money. And so those two things together, I think, very important for anyone of a listener out there who's trying to navigate the formula of what pays and what doesn't pay, and how do you make those choices. And so that's something that I have studied for a long time. So I got my master's degree in um, education and human development, also about that same time that I went through the divorce, I was going through that. And that's really helped me to understand. And I've always, uh, I got it in career counseling, talent development, things like that, because I want to help people, you know, navigate through this time of our lives that no one teaches us how to do adulthood, right? No one teaches that we only just kind of learn it through trial and error.
0: Well, I think that so many people are in that exact same place, and it might be in their 20s, in their early 40s, wherever it is, there's not a manual for uh, adulthood and money. I mean, back from the beginning of the discussion, you may have learned, as I may have learned, that having a lot of money might equate to that person's greedy or if they're rich, then they're bad. Uh, And there might be a number of uh, religious places out there that might even say such a thing that, you know, if you have money and you're not sharing, then that's bad. I mean, there there are so many different things, cliches, phrases we hear about money. And you've been trained now. You've gone to school to study this. You have your own life experience around it. You had some own internal shame or or your own internal journey uh, about learning you know, my self-worth and my net worth tied together as a mother and not earning that, that full time income. So all that packed in, uh, we're at a place now where you are getting ready to, to help people and and guide them. So I'd love to love to pick it up there and, and let you take it from here.
1: What I'm doing now, I'm I'm almost done with this book called Positive Money, Seven Principles for Living Your Rich Life. So this is a book that I really like to write and I've done a lot of writing and what this book does is it pulls together what i believe are principles for guiding anyone through life in making their decisions in a way that gives us their like um bumpers you know to b- bounce any money decision off of and what it does is it centers the each of the principles is about what i have learned as well as what, I, what I've gleaned from you know, many other really amazing authors and people who have been doing this work. So it's a combination of what I've learned over time, but also what I really believe is important to say right now in where we are uh, in relationship with money and the world and the climate and the global challenges that we're dealing with today.
0: Today's sponsor for the Eternal Optimist podcast is No More Snooze Button. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. When you wake up in the morning, that snooze button is not your ally, it is your enemy. If you hit the snooze button, are you going to get more REM sleep? Is your body going to get more recovery time? You may think you are. In reality, you are not. You're actually prolonging and telling yourself subconsciously that I don't want to get started today. I'm defeated as I start the day. Instead, do the opposite. Get rid of that snooze and just go for it. The moment that you hit the day, get going hard, get started, make it happen. When the day begins, we go full force into our day and we get to live life today. My friends, let's go at it today and have a great day. Okay. What might one of those bumpers be? Something like, uh, you know, don't play the lottery with uh, 25% of your paycheck, or I, I don't know, what's what's an example of a bumper here?
1: Okay, so th- so the seven, you know, I won't go through each of the seven principles, but one of the principles is that positive money serves a higher good, that if you want to really feel good about your money, whatever's in your bank account, it's important for you to connect that to who you are as an individual, your deep core values, your practices, and what you care about, not just going backwards, but most importantly, moving forward into future generations. So that it serves a higher purpose or a higher good, that it's an act of giving and receiving, that I think money is something that we, it's an exercise of giving. And then also, what are you getting from that? exchange. So those are just two. I mean, I can say, you know, anything else about any of the other ones, but they really, it's most importantly, and above all, a practice, a daily practice that uses, um, I'm certified as a positive intelligence coach. It uses positive intelligence principles of mental fitness to show up for money on a daily basis or an hourly basis, really. Wh- whenever you're facing a a money decision, it's, it's a way to, to look at that with a sage perspective.
0: Well, let me uh, just share a couple of personal examples and see if this fits within the principle. I, I want to test this and see if, if I'm thinking about this the right way. One example, I was in Nashville, Tennessee last week uh, at my uh, front row dad's retreat. We we're staying in a nice hotel in downtown Nashville and parked right outside of the parking garage uh, is a homeless man who's there. I see him every day. I'm there. He's got a cup in his hand. And as I walk by the first night after parking, he asked me, could you spare some change? And I've been to Nashville before. Uh, I I know that there is a large homeless population. I'm there for a very specific reason. I'm I'm not there to solve that problem, but I do know that I'm going to walk by some people most likely. So I bring with me uh, each day. I I go and I get cash and kind of in my own mind, at least I'm thinking my budget here might be a hundred dollars that I can offer to someone that I'm going to run into. So I get out $5 bills and I, give the guy $5 a bill. So to me, in my mind, I'm thinking this is at least maybe helping this person get food for the day. Uh, so I feel that might be aligned with the, the concept of giving on um, the positive money. Does that align with kind of what you're talking about here in the first principle?
1: Yeah. So what you decided even before you came there, think way back on how even that you were noticing that it was something that bothered you, you were um, you it aligns with your values. So one of the principles is that positive money aligns head, heart, and habit. It's looking at how I have a habit of giving. If there are a lot of faiths, you know, that are really about uh, tithing, about giving, that is fundamental to who who your beliefs are. That is positive money at its best because you're just looking at how. Is your relationship with money showing up in the world for you and for others?
0: I like that question. How is my relationship with money showing up in the world for me and others? And I'm going to make a big assumption here. I don't know if enough people or even many people at all ask that question themselves. What's my relationship with money? And how's it showing up in the world? I, I feel like money, uh, from the way it's talked about and, and the way I see it used out there, is it's such a reactive place for so many people. I mean, I'm not talking about the, the 1% and those who have figured out a way to save and invest and, and who figured that out, because there's a certain population that, that does that really well. But then there's the, you know, the everyday person out there who uh, they may not have been exposed to what you're sharing right now. You know, and they're they're hearing this for the first time. They're getting your coach and your guidance on money first time. So let's just say that there's a person like that that has not been uh, exposed to great money advice. You know, they've got uh, several credit cards that they have a 22.9 percent interest rate on, and they're paying every their minimums every month. If if you run into someone like that, uh, and there's no judgment when I say this, you know, if you if you run into someone like this that has this as their money mindset, then where do you begin? to coach someone, to, to help someone who has this challenge right now, Cindy?
1: It really is about what they want to see in their life. And so it's very common to come in a meeting or even to show up to say, to blame money for things. But money essentially is blameless. Money doesn't care about how we spend it, what we do with it. It just doesn't care. It's a resource. It's a It's a resource like food right? You know, it's, that's all it is. It's just a currency. It's just energy. So really my question then is how do you want your life to really feel like and look like? And what this means is how are your relationships showing up? How are they serving you? How can you have an effective money conversation with a partner? Do you open your bank account? and how do you feel in when you open a bank account do you even like to do that right like there's a lot of anxiety around opening your opening up a browser and looking at, at your balance it starts with being willing and open to looking at what does my current story around money and my current relationship with money how do, how is it driving results
0: you brought up a kind of a, a sore spot in my past. I remember back in the first days of opening my first business uh, when I had uh, a pretty good amount of money coming in and the lack of discipline to actually pay attention to what I did with it. And I remember a number of times that my bank uh, would send me these little notices. These, If I recall, I think it was a a $35 overdraft or $36 overdraft fee. I don't know how many of those I got over the years uh, in my early and mid-20s. And I was making really good money and you know, I was doing really well at the stuff coming in, but I lacked the discipline of you know paying attention to it. you know so if someone wanted to start to build a discipline and they've 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 asked some of these hard questions that you've you've given us, you know which I think is something many people don't do. They may not ask all these questions about how do I want it to show up in my life? how do I talk with my significant other or other relationships about it? I don't think a lot of them ask that well, let's say that they're starting to become more aware. Know, and they're starting to figure out, you know, I, I need to take control of this. How might they move forward now that they have this awareness? What might be a, a next step, so to speak?
1: Well, they're uh, a next step, or there, as we've already pointed out, there are a lot of different really great books out there. And I just want to point out that, and just resources generally. So there's a, Oftentimes you go toward a book that is i how to make six figures or something that's related to income right like this is a place that many of us start, especially business owners, like I want to make more money right and I would say that those books I have many of them would sit by the side of my bed and I would look at them with a lot of anxiety and I would open them up and be hopeful and wishful about that, but I myself felt impotent and I would use that word strongly. I just felt like why can I crack this nut? I can't make I'm I'm not good at reaching out and making a sale. I had my you know several started several businesses and just could not get them off the ground and I never knew why that was until I started to look at my relationship with money. So, I think that the you know one of the first things to notice is how do you React when you are you have a book, why are you buying a book like Happy Money or even a Susie Orman book about investing? I mean what is it that's really much deeper than just I need to get out of debt What's really going on and so i I can give a a one piece of advice that i I give to many people as a starting place that has very that can be very effective right off the bat, so one of the things that I teach is uh, called money dates. And these, this is a very, very simple process that someone can do with for themselves. You could have a money date with yourself or anyone else, whether it's a partner or a group of people. But the concept of a money date is there's three pillars to it. The first is that you're coming with a focused challenge, like some one thing you want to talk about or address and then the second piece is that you are in a posture where you treat it as a as a date so you bring candles or i mean you know of course you wouldn't bring a candle and chocolate to a to a meeting at work necessarily however you know it, you want to bring abundance right you want to bring symbols of abundance and symbols of shared values so you might bring a, sh- a pictures of your kids if you're doing this as a couple, couples have very big, um, 80% of, of marriages fail because of, of differences in around money. So, and, and the reason for that, it's, it's a significant thing. There's a good reason for it, which is that we, uh, rely on when we partner up, we rely on people with shared skills. So, you know, I, I, I want to be with someone, my partner happens to be very good with money, really good with risk. She's very, I mean, she's taught me so much about, I will never be as risk um, adverse as she is. I just won't. So I've had to kind of balance out where is my value versus her value, right? So having said that, uh, you know, so you're coming, the second pillars, you come in with what is already wealthy, what's already rich about your life. So you have a context for something that is shared value between whoever's in the room. If it's just yourself, reminding of what it is that you you know rocked your world. And then the third piece is active listening. So just really being a, a posture of, I'm going to learn as much as I can from this other person about where they're coming from around this particular money challenge. And that is obviously much harder than uh, we think. But you just set a time for beginning and end, and then you set a time for another money date. And you just begin this practice, if it's once a week, at a time when you're rested and it feels like something, it may be difficult at times, but it's been transformative in my relationship and many others.
0: What I love about it the most are, are a couple of things. I love the intentionality of getting together uh, with people that you care about, bringing some some strength to the table, uh, some strength around pictures of kids or some symbol, some artifact of something that, that is a pillar that is strength for you. Uh, I love that it's creating high awareness around a very important topic that can be tough to talk about. Uh, I love the last thing you said, some level of consistency of talking about it on a regular basis, a weekly, monthly, w- whatever it might be, but some level of consistency. You know, And even if I go back in there when you said that maybe it's weird to bring chocolate and candles to uh, to the work, hey, you're looking at someone that always has a little Bob Ross stuffed animal with him wherever we go. So uh, weird is okay and breaking the mold is okay. I love everything you shared there around it. Is there a specific outcome that someone we will be searching for at a money date? Uh, or is it simply the process of being there and talking about it that is the transformative part, Cindy?
1: I would say the second piece first, although the goal, you want to have a, an outcome and a goal. With positive intelligence, there's a practice that recognizes that everyone is 10% right. So whenever you're in a, a money conversation, it's so highly emotional for so many of us that we get defensive. Our saboteurs show up like it's, and I do a whole thing on money saboteurs. So our saboteurs are right front and center because they have served us for many years. Hyperachievers, controllers, you know, everything has to be perfect. Like this is the way the world has to be. And if it's not like this, then everything's going to go to, you know, hell in a handbasket, right? What this does is it allows us to breathe, you're bringing in some mental fitness practices. So you have some breath work, you might just um, rub your hands together, whatever it takes to calm yourself down, so that you can have a meaningful conversation. And so With that, the value of that is that you start to learn how to actually have a conversation around a very tough topic. And once you break through that, even if it's, hey, look, you know, I disagree. Let's agree to disagree on this topic. Then you can start to learn. It repairs relationships. In addition to just you know money money
0: issues, I'm feeling one of the uh, one of the principles that you and I initially connected with in the exchange community. Uh, I think you're living it right now when you talk about just curiosity you know, and being an active listener and being present and and judgment free to whatever's happening in this money date. I love the concept. I I wish everyone would do this. I can only imagine that when everyone does this, how it impacts the world. So I wonder about money dates. I I love the subject. I wonder about it. Can you think back to maybe it's a client or maybe it's someone that you've offered this feedback to in the past? What does it look like when this is working? you know what does it look like when someone's had a series of these money dates and they're they're having the discussions about money on a consistent basis and there's active listening going on what does it look like a day a week a month a year down the road when this works for someone
1: all i can say is that it is transformational i have seen different levels of transformation with my clients. I have seen uh, someone go from very often, these are early money stories that are really defining our relationship to money. So for example, um, one woman I've worked with, she was pushed out of her family. She was kind of in an early part of her life. She was essentially told she wasn't, she didn't have access to money. Like she was literally not allowed to have this money and this wealth. And when she did this work and understood that she was no longer in that story, that she could sort of see that as as something that was then, and now she had could create her own little story. I mean, that goes over and over with entrepreneurs I've worked with, people who are like, okay, I know what I'm dealing with. I need some tools for every single time I'm coming up to money. I need some tools to work with. I can't just assume I'm going to fix my relationship with money and then get back to work. I need, So I've seen people use these tools on a daily basis to just breathe deeply. Okay, I want to go and I want to look at my money. And they are able to sit down and have a money date. And with their taxes, they might bring out some, again, the candles, sit down. And, and it's transformational. They're like, I didn't freak out. I actually loved the experience because I felt much more in control of something that I felt out of control
0: of. Well, you really hit a nerve again. Uh, and I love it when you hit my nerves, Kira, because this, this this was a very painful one for me for, for 18 years. And I've shared this with all my personal clients in, in the coaching business. So I'll, I'll share with listeners that what you just hit on with taxes was an incredibly painful experience for me. There's not really a manual for how to pay taxes out there. Or maybe there is. Maybe it's 4,000 pages long and it's called the IRS code, but there's not a manual for the layperson or the entrepreneur to really, truly understand everything about tax. And as a result of that, I know from experience that a number of entrepreneurs are, are afraid of the subject, and it, it causes pain. For me personally, there was a time where you know I had you know made money, I had talked to a CPA, and I had not filed taxes. And I remember there was a time I didn't file taxes for a number of years, and eventually I had to pay a large penalty you know, to the IRS for that. And I remember I would always, once that happened, I remember there was about 10 year stretch as an entrepreneur that I would defer, you know, every, every tax cycle, I'd get the extension. And this came to a head on October 31st, 2018, just a few years ago, when I heard someone say to me, Matt, what's something you can do for yourself today that your future self will thank you for? And for me, it's always, I mean, the big bear in the back of my mind that I was ashamed of that was painful was taxes. So on that day we decided to take care of the taxes in advance. So wrote out all of the expenses, everything, got with my fractional CFO and looked through everything so that when it came around, than wait until April 15th, we got everything done by the end of February. And I paid the estimated taxes in March of 2019. And since that experience, gotten ahead of taxes every time. So I say that just to share, if there's anyone listening that really felt what you were saying right there around, we all have a narrative with money. We all have this place that it could be easy for most of us. Though it's hard, we have a narrative, and to pull ourselves out of it, to have an awareness of where we want to go, create proactively this future of where we want to go with money through our narrative. That would be one example of how the narrative changed for me proactively, uh, kind of on what you've what you've shared.
1: Yeah, and I would just want to say just quick quickly. The, my very first positive money principle is choice. And, and it's how do I want my money to be of service to me and others? So how, how am I going to show up around how I earn, how I spend, how I save, and how I give? And taxes is one of the hardest parts. Uh, it's the hardest um, thing to overcome because the word tax literally feels like it's, it's a negative. And my very first money coach said to me, I love, it took me a long time also, but I, I now appreciate paying taxes because I know what it goes to. Now, would we rather it go to some things that, you know, whatever. But the point is, is that we all live in a society that benefits from, public, from our public taxes. So just think of that person that is getting that picked up because they, on the bus, because they can't afford to own a car. So, I mean, there's so many ways we can connect with how our money is moving through the system to serve others as well as, as ourselves that we need to continue to exercise that giving and receiving cycle so that more money can come through the system. So, yeah, so that's probably my biggest uh, message is that positive money is a
0: choice. Well, I was going to ask you uh, the last question and move to wrap up with if there was a piece of advice you could offer. And you've offered so many pieces of advice. So I I wanted to go back to the well one more time and ask for more. (laughs) So if we were to ask for one more thought and and a piece of advice we might offer someone who is working to change their narrative around money, what might be that, that one last thought that we could share today, Cindy?
1: that our relationship with money is both the problem and the solution. And so our willingness to address the problems we have will turn into solutions and they will be life-changing for almost
0: anybody. Our willingness to address it, face it head on. Uh, Thank you, Cindy, for for everything you've shared. I I know that there's a great need for what you do out there. Help us uh, connect with you. If someone wanted to reach out to you or or follow you or find you somehow, how would the audience uh, connect with you?
1: The easiest place is is to go to my website at morganjaffe.com. And on that is my links to social media. Yeah. And I offer, you know, free, there's some lead, you know, they're called lead magnets. They're offering, there's a, a free guide to how to, what are money saboteurs and how can you, what are some simple ways that you can overcome them and address them on a daily basis? So that I would boil everything down to just a five page. Uh, guide for people to just get started with this work.
0: Well, I would encourage anyone who's listening today, no matter where you are on the money spectrum, to go and download this and take it a step further from that. There's so much information out there. It's easy to think that just because the information is there, that the problem is solved. That's not really the case because someone reads something doesn't mean that they are now perfect or they're now ready to go in their money situation, and their narrative. So I would encourage anyone to reach out to Dr. Cindy Morgan Jaffe. She's phenomenal. Uh, I've known her in the exchange community for over a year now. So, Sandy, thank you so much for coming on today. I appreciate you, and uh, wish you the best, my friend.
1: Thank you so much, and and thank you so much for your leadership. You have such a positive view on the world, and it's it's really definitely something that I enjoy and appreciate. Would love to, you know, be more be more Matt in the world. So, thank you.
0: That might be quotable. Be more Matt. Everyone, be more (laughs) Matt. Be
1: more Matt. Yeah, be more Matt. Uh, (laughs) We need more Matt's in the world. Well, that's
0: kind. Thank you. All right. Have a great day. Okay. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Eternal Optimist Podcast. You can check the show notes for information about today's episode. And please share the show with that friend who is wanting to think bigger. We'll see you next time.